Please be seated. Good morning. How are you all today? Stepping out of my comfort zone today. I like having this podium in front of me. All right, bear with me. So I've been thinking this entire week a lot about my mother. And there's a few things that my mother would say to me that have stuck with me. Of course, my mother was very generous with praise. And so she would always tell me that I was smart or pretty or talented. And that has stayed with me, right? And there wasn't a day that went by that my mother didn't tell me that she loved me at least once. So I carry those things with me every day. There are also three things that I remember she said quite frequently um, that were more about teaching me a lesson. The first one, I would say something like, Mom, can I go play at Emily's house? And her response to me would be, I don't know, can you? <laughs> I would get so frustrated. I'm like, can I just go? And she would eventually relent and say, go, just go. It took me literally years to figure out that she was trying to give me a grammar lesson. I didn't, I forget it. Mother, may I go to Emily's and play, right? Things that I learned from that, first of all, I am a stickler for grammar, right? My two kids are probably the only young people anywhere who send me texts in complete sentences, <laughs> right? Um, and the other thing I learned is, as a mom, I've tried very hard to make sure that my kids always understand what they've done wrong, right? So I try to explain to them why they're in trouble, why I'm upset. And I've worked, I don't always succeed, but I try very hard to be clear about that. The second thing that my mother always said to me, so I was the youngest of three girls. And most of my young life was spent trying to get attention, right? And I did that as a small girl without a whole lot of power in two ways, whining and crying. <laughs> Drove my mother crazy. So my mother had this saying, and she would look at me, and she would wag her finger at me, and she would say, stop your crying, or I'll give you something to cry about. Anyone else hear that growing up? Now, it was an idle threat, right? My mother never had and never would strike me. My mother was notoriously bad about seeing punishments through, so I knew she, it wouldn't really happen, but it did have the effect of quieting me. I've never used that on my kids, I promise. The third thing she would say, again, going back to the whining part, Mom, it's not fair that Adele got a new dress and I didn't. Or Jenny gets to go to camp and I don't. It's not fair. So she would say to me, and she probably said this more than anything else except for, I love you and you're pretty and smart. Right? But this was the thing she said, <laughs> I remember it so well. She would say to me, no one ever said life was fair. Right? Did you hear that? <sighs> I haven't used that on my kids either. Although I will say my son, Oscar, he has, first of all, the memory of the proverbial elephant and a very strong sense of fairness. So I'm continually, he's four years younger than his sister, but I continually get that. When Adele was 12, she got this. When do I get that? So there was always that. And I never pulled out the old life. Is, no one ever said life is fair. You know who really never talked about fairness? Jesus. It wasn't a topic. 
didn't care about fairness. He talked about justice and mercy and love. And those are very different things. Fairness is about equality, everything being equal. If we have a pie and we cut it into eight pieces, you each get exactly the same amount, and that feels fair. In, there's, a, there's a series of images that they use in trying to teach the difference between equality and equity, and I'm going to try to draw a visual picture for you. So in the first image, there's a baseball game going on, and the baseball field is surrounded by a wooden fence. And there are three blocks in front of the fence, all of the same size. And on the first block, you see a very tall man. And the fence is probably about at his waist. And he's looking, he's watching the baseball game. In the second block, there's a middle-sized person who is just able to see over the top of the fence and watch the baseball game. And then on the, the last block is a very tiny person. And the fence is way over his head. But they were all given equal size boxes. Equality is, and fairness is great, but it's not taking into account which, what each person, what resources they brought with them. And it doesn't really provide an environment where everyone can thrive and reach their goals. In this case, watching a baseball game. So in the next picture, there's the same baseball game, the same fence, but this time, the tall man is standing on the ground, still able to watch over, see over the fence and watch the game. The middle fellow is still standing on a box, still able to watch the game. But this time, the littlest person is standing on two boxes. And now, that person can also watch the game. And the caption on that is equity. The idea that each person gets what they need based on their resources and what they are what they what they coming to the party with they get what they need to thrive and reach their goals watching the baseball game are you all with me still can you picture all of this okay so the third there's often a third picture not always there's often a third picture and in that picture it same field same fence same three people but this time the tall man is standing on a huge tower of blocks and then a middle person is still standing on one block. But the little person is standing in a ditch, right? And the, the caption on that is reality. That's the world we live in. It is easier to amass more if you start with more. And if you were born in a ditch, you're just often getting lower and lower into the ditch, right? That's the world that we live in, and our goal is to move towards equality, or even better, towards equity, right? And there's a whole lot of ways we can talk about that. There is also, sometimes, a fourth image. Same baseball game, same three people, but they're standing this time just on the bare ground, right? But the fence, the wooden fence, has been replaced with a cyclone fence. So everyone can see through the fence. And that is lifted up as the ideal. This is where we want to be. Everyone with the resources that they have are able to achieve what they want in life and watch the baseball game, right? I don't think that's the ideal. I don't think Jesus would think that was the ideal because those three people are still on this side of the fence while everyone else is sitting in the bleachers 
eating hot dogs and pop. If Jesus were there, what would they, he would invite them in. Come and sit with me. Have a hot dog. Drink some pop, right? Jesus sat down with prostitutes and tax collectors, excuse me, tax collectors and lepers, and he made them feel loved. That he made them feel that they belonged, that they have worth and value. That's the world, actually, that Jesus calls us to. That is, the, that is what we call the kingdom of God, or what the term I prefer, the beloved community. That is the world in which we are all able to feel truly loved and truly valued, and we are all able to, to be a part of the game. Now, somebody correct, said it after the 8 o'clock service. Actually, Jesus wouldn't, he'd give you a hot dog, but he'd say, okay, go get in the game. Go play. Because the fact is, that it, Christianity isn't a spectator sport. You got to get in the game. All right. So that is a world in that that we just painted that picture of that is driven by God's economy and its economy of, of love and mercy and justice and abundance and generosity. Not a world driven by power and envy and scarcity. And that is the world that we're working to create together, right? So let's look for a minute at the parable. We'll start first with the gentleman who worked one hour, right? The laborer. So imagine that he's at the Lowe's parking lot waiting to be <laughs> given a job all day long in the hot sun. And as the day progresses and people keep coming back and getting workers and he's passed over over and over again, he is getting more and more anxious, and he's thinking, how am I going to feed my family tonight or tomorrow? And he is, he's getting scared, right? He's got responsibilities. And then they, he, at the last minute, he's called in to do an hour's, of work, hour's worth of work, and he's thinking, okay, at least I'll get a little bit, and I'll be able to get a little bit of food for my family tonight. And when the landowner, when they come and they give him a full day's wage, he is odd and so grateful and he said he's thinking oh thank you because now i can pay, feed my family for a couple of days and we're going to be okay right and then you look at the landowner and the landowner is able through his own resources and generosity to give to all of the workers and that feels so good and he's proud of himself and he feels good about that choice and then we look, let's say, at one of the workers who's been working 10 hours in the hot sun, and he's just frankly pissed off. It is not fair, right? Why? I worked all day for this, and this guy comes in in an hour and gets the same wage. It's not fair. But let's see if we can change his perspective a little bit. And what if he were to look at that and say, you know, I got exactly what I earned and what I expected today. But look at Joe. How, isn't that wonderful that Joe also can feed his family tonight? I'm so happy for him, right? It's just not coming at it from envy, but coming at it from a sense that there's enough. We're going to be okay. And Joe's family's going to be fed tonight. Isn't that a beautiful image, right? 
a world of love and mercy and justice and abundance and generosity. That is the beloved community that I believe we all hold out that Jesus is calling us to and asking us to be a part of the creation in this life to get closer and closer to that beloved community. We all can hopefully agree on that. Now, we disagree often on how to get there, right? There are some who say the more the landowner amasses, he's able to be more generous and give to more people, and we'll try to right the injustices in that way. And I think that has a, a beautiful, there's a, um, uh, how do I say it? Um, an inherent belief in the goodness of humanity. And I love that, about that perspective. There's another perspective that feels like it has to be the system that fixes it, right? Redistribution of wealth, maybe through taxes, usually through taxes. And these two opposing views often stand firmly in their place. And they get so stuck on the way that they forget that we're actually all here in this vision together. We all share a common vision for a world in which we all feel loved and valued and enough. And so we do this work together as a church community by what we call spreading love across the valley. That's the work that we're doing. We are working to create beloved community. So let's not get stuck in the how and the, 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 that perspective. Let's join together in the where and the what and what it looks like and be loving and generous and merciful to one another. Amen.